Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello once again. Welcome to this hour of The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, and glad to have you here during this hour of spiritual direction. As we talk with a different priest every day, try and understand how God is working in our lives, what God might be saying, how he might be leading us. And uh, ultimately, so that we can grow closer to him, so we can grow in holiness. We can eventually become saints. That's our goal, right? Uh, Well, do you listen to much classical music? And if you talk about classical music in general, well, then that covers centuries. Mainly anything that was composed, most music at least, that was composed uh, from around medieval times, kind of, you know, Renaissance, post-Renaissance, up until the late 19th and early 20th centuries. But if you actually study music history, you'll find out that most classical music, it begins in what we now call the Baroque era, B-A-R-O-Q-U-E. It's a French word, Baroque. And there are many famous names from the Baroque period. You've likely heard of Vivaldi. Maybe you've heard of Scarlatti. Handel, that's a, that's a big name, a Baroque composer famous for many pieces, perhaps the best known work for us as far as a contemporary audience, is Handel's Messiah. But as significant as Handel is as a Baroque composer, I would actually argue that there's another man from that time period who I think may have had an even more significant impact on classical music as a whole. And that is Johann Sebastian Bach. And he has numerous famous songs. I'm sure you'd recognize many of them. Uh, he has one that's usually played around Christmas time. That's Yesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. And as soon as you hear that, I'm sure that's familiar for you. There's another one, and this one sounds a little bit more ominous. This is the Toccata and Fugue in D minor. I think it was used for the Phantom of the Opera at one point in one production of it. But yeah, it's it's very recognizable. Another one that you've probably heard is his Prelude in C Major. This is from uh, a collection of works that he called The Well-Tempered Clavier. And so with this one, you have these beautiful arpeggios that keep on going. It's a, it's a short song, but Bach, he wrote a prelude and a fugue in this well-tempered clavier for every single key on the keyboard, on the piano, or on the harpsichord, whatever instrument was being played at that time. And that song that you just heard, the prelude in C major, it was written by Bach somewhere around the year 1720. 
And I don't remember the first time I ever heard it, but it's a song I've known since I was young. But then years later, somewhere when I was in my early 20s, I ended up learning that a different man, a man named Charles Gounod, he's a French composer, he wrote a melody to complement Bach's prelude in C major. And Gounod, he wrote his melody about 130 years after Bach had composed that original prelude that we just heard. And this melody that Gounod wrote, it was meant to be sung. Do you know, have any idea what the words to that melody are? It's the Ave Maria. It's the Latin words of the Hail Mary. Here, give a listen to a little of that. And so here again, it starts with that prelude, and we'll hear that melody come in in just a moment. If we didn't have a show to get on with, I'd just let that play in its entirety for us. But I really think it's amazing when you discover something like that, where you you have something that you've known for some length of time, but then you come across something else that complements that original. And I think we have that in something in, in the church. It's the works of mercy that we practice as Christians. And I don't know if maybe you've had a similar experience to me, but I had heard about the corporal works of mercy for years and years since I was probably, I, I don't know, a, a 10, 11 year, 12 year old boy, at least in my teens. And these are the corporal works of mercy, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, and bury the dead. These care for the physical needs of those that we encounter. But we are more than just physical beings. We're comprised of body and soul. And this means that alongside having our physical needs cared for, we also should care for each other's spiritual needs. And it wasn't until many years later that I discovered that the church also has a list that complements that list of the corporal works of mercy. And these are the spiritual works of mercy, how we can care for those spiritual needs of those around us. And this is what we want to talk about today on The Inner Life. We want to take this hour to walk through the spiritual works of mercy and discuss how we can help those in need of spiritual assistance. And our spiritual director helping us this hour as we look at the spiritual works of mercy, Father Chris Walsh is back with us once again. Father Chris is a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. He's the pastor of St. Cecilia's Church there in Philly. And Father, welcome back to The Inner Life. Glad to have here today. Thank you so much, Josh. Great to be with you. As we were playing classical music, I'm thinking, oh no, did I, they booked me for the wrong day. I hope I don't have to talk about classical music, so I'm glad you saved the day. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we, we can talk about classical music another time, Father, but uh, no. I, uh, I The spiritual works of mercy, like I said, it's something that I hadn't learned about until years and years later, and so I, I think it's 
I'm just kind of guessing maybe a little lesser known. It's so easy to look at this, the, the physical needs of people that we encounter. Those are so obvious on the surface, but the spiritual needs that people might have could be hidden, and, and hidden quite well. Um, and maybe before we walk through that list, the, the list of seven spiritual works of mercy, do you know any of the history of how the Church compiled this list of these seven works? Because with the corporal works, we can look directly at the 25th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, and we have Jesus telling this kind of parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says, you know, the, the, the sheep, the ones who fed the hungry, clothed the poor, visit those in sick and prison, those who do the, that to their brothers or sisters, they're really doing it to Jesus himself. Uh, I, I don't think there's an actual list that we find in Scripture for the spiritual work. So how did these come about being put together? It's a really great question, and the short answer is I don't know. Um, as you said, the, the, the corporal works of mercy uh, come out of Matthew 25 and even predate that, in a sense, with Tobit um, you know, and, and, and the Talmudic tradition. The, the clear list shows up certainly, you know, more than a thousand years ago in different monastic traditions and writings of the saints, but it doesn't, there's no clear origin. And so it's one of these things, like so many other things, like the mysteries of the rosary, that, that, that sort of are, are scripturally based. They're certainly modeled in the life of Christ, um, but, but how the list comes together seems to happen uh, somewhat organically and certainly guided by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit over a period of time, but, but I have not been able to find a definitive answer that it was from this saint or from that source or this revelation. So it seems to be something that develops over time through lots of sources. God puts it together. Well, so the real, you know, I, I mean, it's nice to know a little history if it's available, but, you know, if it's one of those things that just through the evolution of understanding that, again, caring for not just the physical, but the physical and the spiritual needs that we have, each one of us, um, if this comes together, it's more about how do we then take that information and live it out. So um, I'll read through really quickly here the list of the seven spiritual works of mercy, but maybe we can just take one by one and go through these two, Father. So the list is to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish sinners, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive offenses willingly, to comfort the afflicted, and to pray for the living and the dead. So we have this list here as well, again, as we're talking about the spiritual works of mercy here on The Inner Life today. Um, But maybe we can just kind of take them one by one and that first one, instruct the ignorant. Um, in our modern society, sometimes that word ignorant can be seen as talking down to somebody or a bit of an insult. That's not what is being uh, explained in this one. Can you help us understand what we mean when we talk about instruct the ignorant? Certainly. And, and I think we should say just right off the bat, as, as um, shocking as it may be, I think that the spiritual works of mercy are actually more challenging for most of us than the corporal works of mercy. You know, I can either write a check to give food or, or housing, you know, or, or it's a short commitment. And, and most times the corporal works of mercy are being played out with people we don't know. You know, the, the, the spiritual works of mercy are being played out when a family member is ignorant about a moral teaching or a theological truth. Um, and, and, and in their ignorance, um, perhaps knowingly or unknowingly, they're wrong. And that's not a very popular thing today, Josh. 
right? We live in a very morally relativistic culture. And so there's this idea of I'm okay, you're okay, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, that there is no objective truth. And so this first spiritual mercy, work of mercy, you know, confronts that reality that there is a truth that each of us should know that's necessary for salvation, that's good for the way we live our lives. And so the need to sort of acknowledge that and then to help someone else come to see the truth in a way that's most effective. Well, and as we talk about this too, um, I, I there are opportunities. I think, in a general sense, I mean, even what you and I are doing here on the air right now, as we're talking about this, if somebody has never heard of the spiritual works of mercy before, if this is the first time, then we are in a way helping to instruct, to give you know, teaching and instruction for somebody who was ignorant of these different works of mercy. But I think going back to what you said, yeah, it really is important to realize with each of these, it's going to, it's going to be with people that we probably know a little better, you know, people that we have maybe a bit of history with, and they have a reason to trust us. Because if there's not that trust, why are they going to take what you say with any sort of weight, any sort of validity, any sort of seriousness? And I, I think another overarching theme in a lot of these two, then, is we not only are going to have that relationship and we have to be kind of careful that we're, we're gentle in how we present it, but we also have to kind of get our own house in order. Uh, because if we're going to instruct the ignorant, they might very quickly learn out how, how ignorant each one of us <laughs> is as we're trying to explain something. You know, okay, maybe I don't have it all figured out either. Yeah. And, and, and with that, it's, it's also not just that I, that I know I should know the truth before I try to share it with someone else, and so that's always going to challenge me. Do I understand this teaching? Do I have a way to explain it? But also, and I think this is where it dovetails with the other spiritual works of mercy, the, to do this with patience, to do this with understanding. You, you know, we can't just come at people with sledgehammers. And, and sadly, that's what we see happening all across our country, if not the world. And, and it just doesn't work. People retreat. No one wants to get hit over the head. Um, and, and so we have to think of how was my mind changed on something? How did I come to the truth on, on something, particularly something, you know, religious, right? We've, we've all had these aha moments. Well, let's remember how it happened, right? Perhaps someone gave us a little bit of information. Let us think, ask us questions. Perhaps that great age-old model of teaching, with, okay, well, well, you believe that, okay, you believe that, you know, uh, abortion's okay, you believe that, you know, divorce is okay, you believe that, uh, you know, Jesus is just a great prophet, okay, well, help me understand, how did you come to that belief? You know, yeah. so, so, so approach them, not with the idea that you're going to agree with them, but at least come to understand how they got there. Right, so that then you can engage them in conversation, and just as you're listening, maybe they'll listen to you. Right, and and then yeah. again, the great teachers of history have done this, including Jesus himself. Uh, going back to the point you said, you know, we live in this relativistic society, this culture, where we want to, or or there's a common thematic approach of everybody is okay with what they're doing as long as they quote unquote aren't hurting somebody else or it's you know them being true to themselves you know this sort of attitude that's so pervasive in our society how how do you think we approach that so that we really can try and bring out truth 
and acknowledge that, yeah, there, there really is absolute truth in areas of life, especially when we're talking about morality, um, that it's okay that we feel bad about certain things, that we feel some shame, that we feel some guilt. It's okay to acknowledge that this is not a good thing to do, this one activity that you might be engaged in, or that in a general sense, this is better than another way of living. How, how, do, how do you approach that so that it doesn't sound, uh, I guess, condemning and condescending, but it's still presented in love? Well, I, I think that, as you said earlier, that, that, that I'm living this myself, okay? That, I, that I'm living this myself because um, it's, it's going to be attractive in my life. So I'm not just saying that, you know, God's plan is for a marriage is between one man and one woman, but the way that I'm living my marriage is, is attractive to people. That when people see the way that I treat my spouse, there's something beautiful and good about this that, that makes it attractive, Right, we we're all attracted to the truth at some level or another. Right, the person who's living something that we would be considered to be ignorant or, or untrue, well, there, there's something that attracted them to that. Right, and and so we have to attract them back. Right, and so we have to make the truth look attractive. Um, you know, the the, uh, the the sign of joy in the life of the Christian that as we're living these teachings, that the, that they're not heavily burdened. <laughs> Um, and, and so I think that's part of it, that, 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 that the truth is supposed to set us free, that the truth is supposed to bring about a joy in our life, right? Blessed are those who live this way. And, and so is that evident in our life? Because if, 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 if living the truth of the gospel, living the truth as revealed by the church, is causing me to be heavily burdened and miserable and complaining constantly about the way I have to live my life and how difficult it is, I'm not sure I'm going to get anyone to join me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and there also has to be that grounding in prayer. Um, as you kind of said, you know, you can't give what you don't have. Um, if if you're not spending that time in prayer, if you're not regularly partaking of the sacraments, you know, uh, going to Mass, receiving the Eucharist, uh, going to confession, uh, if if those aren't there, you're, you're going to most likely struggle to be able That's to right. really communicate and help in any of these areas of the spiritual works of mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, our spiritual director today, Father Chris Walsh, he's a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, as we're talking about the spiritual works of mercy, and we'd love to invite you into the conversation. How have you been able to practice some of those spiritual works of mercy? Or maybe somebody else helped you in a time where you needed that kind of spiritual care, that spiritual assistance, or perhaps you have a question about one of the spiritual works of mercy, you're welcome to call in and join us here in the studio, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. Uh, before we go to the break, Father, let's talk about the second on this list, giving counsel to the doubtful. And... I guess, you know, where we start off there, giving counsel to the doubtful, doubt, the opposite of that is faith. And faith, it's a gift from God. You know, it's one of the theological virtues. It's something that has to be given to us by God. So um, part of this makes me think about how helping those who are experiencing doubts, we're, we're going to have to be encouraging to them. But there's also, again, going back to this has to be grounded in prayer, since it's not something we can't give somebody faith. That has to originate from God. Yes, um, and, and so to counsel, 
right? Um, is is to is to guide, is to accompany. But you're right; the person has to make the choice for themselves through the grace that Almighty God is giving. But I, I think the way that we most often counsel these days, and this is why I think that the spiritual works of mercy are more difficult, is is we have to get to know them, we, and 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 we have to walk alongside them. And we have to listen, and we have to understand, and we have to be humble enough to say, wow, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I was, I was talking with someone after Mass this morning, Josh, who, as we celebrate Joachim and Anne, you know, one of the traditions is that Joachim and Anne prayed for 20 years before they conceived the Blessed Mother. And how many couples, including those listening, you know, are are, are desiring to have a child but have not been blessed in that way and the heartache that comes from struggles with fertility and how often someone will say because of that suffering or some other well i guess god doesn't hear me or perhaps god isn't real right well well again that's a doubt (laughs) you know that god doesn't hear me and so i just can't say oh no don't say that well that's not counseling the doubtful that's shutting down the doubtful counseling them is saying okay yeah i understand well have you have you talked to someone else who's been through that you know, would you be willing to talk to someone else who has dealt with fertility issues or is going through the loss of a spouse or, you know, has a child with an addiction, you know, who is experiencing a similar doubt in the presence of God and the plan of God and the providence of God and the goodness of God, that another can say, oh, yeah, I remember being there as well, right, and, and help them get to the point that, you know, faith doesn't mean we don't have storms, but that God is with us in the storms, you know, that that's what to counsel offer, not... Not to shut them down, not to tell them what they need to do, but but to offer counsel, to offer to share our own wisdom, or to find people who who have the wisdom to share with them. Mm. As you're saying that counsel, you know, to share with them, to to come alongside them, it makes me think of Jesus talking about, "I will send you the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit," and the Holy Spirit is to walk alongside us, and we kind of take that role. Not not that, you know, we're in the same position as the Holy Spirit, but that we do. We're able to walk alongside that person for whatever length of journey they need that assistance, that counsel um, on our part. And and it's really more just being a friend is, is what I'm hearing you say. Exactly. Talking with Father Chris Walsh again here today, and we've talked about the first two of this list of seven of the spiritual works of mercy, to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful. We've got five more, and those are to admonish sinners, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive offenses willingly, to comfort the afflicted, and to pray for the living and the dead. We're going to keep on walking through these here, but also want to invite you into the conversation Maybe you've been able to practice one or more of these spiritual works of mercy, uh, helping somebody else, or maybe somebody helped you in your life with one of these works. And how did that impact your life, being able to have somebody care for those spiritual needs? Uh, Maybe you have a question about one of the spiritual works of mercy. You're welcome to call in 888-914-9149, Our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com, and we'll continue walking through the spiritual works of mercy next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states.
back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and I'm joined today by Father Chris Walsh. He's our spiritual director, as today we are talking about the spiritual works of mercy. And we're also inviting your phone calls at 888-914-9149. How have you been able to practice the spiritual works of mercy Uh, helping maybe somebody else who needed that assistance for their spiritual life. Or maybe you're the one who received that assistance. What was it? How did it help you? How did it help you and the person that gave you that that assistance? How did it help both of you grow in your relationship with Christ? We'd love to hear your your story, 888-914-9149. Father, before we get back to running through the list, I wanted to invite Al to join us here on the program, uh, calling in from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Al, it uh, sounds like you've got a book that you've looked at that's helped you uh, at least a little bit in practicing these first one or two spiritual works of mercy. Yes, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, yes, um, I'm, uh, just how I stepped into the book, um, I'm going to just back up this a little bit. Um, that would also help in uh, the Spiritual Works of Mercy is taking a program in Phoenix, Arizona called Kino. It was a two-year uh, program. Uh, for lay people, but also for deacons uh, thinking or those thinking about getting into it. So after taking two years of uh, the religious studies at our diocese here, um, I now moved into the next thing of reading a book called Tactics, which was promoted to me um, many times, uh, personally and through the radio of Patrick Madrid. Uh, the book uh, by Gregory Corkle, uh, he's a Protestant, but Patrick had recommended about how to have these conversations with individuals and tough conversations and how to handle different personalities. Um, after I read the book once, I went through it a second time. This is after I got done with the program at Keno, because now I had all this knowledge, and I didn't know how to feel comfortable uh, presenting or talking to, to people, uh, engaging in conversations on tough, situ- tough subjects such as uh, same-sex attraction, abortion, divorce, etc., um, and I read the book once, went through it a second time, and had a very strong feeling that Catholics, uh, this was something I needed to present to Catholics, because I think a lot of us as Catholics, <clears throat> not everyone, but a lot of us have a difficult time uh, speaking to other uh, Christians and speaking truth um, about and who we are. And um, so I put together a, a book study. of uh, it, ranged, it ranged from five to seven uh, individuals uh, from, uh, I would say, mm, some people that may be on the, the fledgling side of spirituality to the advanced, and I and I did that intentionally um, as I invited those. Um, we had about seven weeks of this book, uh, broke it down, and then what we did, we had, um, it, lack of a better term, debates, or as we learned how the, to use skills and tactics, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we brought up, I had different subjects that I pulled out of the book, and basically we had team um, uh, back and forth like a workshop, and then we analyzed it, how it went, and then as we got more advanced, we just had one-on-one um, individual um, uh, back and forth, and uh, then the group would kind of talk about what we did right and um, what we could have done better. We took roles on uh, personality styles, uh, very aggressive personality styles, and how to handle those individuals. Um, And like Father said, um, the big part of the book was to ask questions on how have you come to that conclusion, why do you say that, and after we got information from the other person first, then you knew how to go forward. 
Yeah, you know, Al, I, I really appreciate you calling in and sharing that. Um, and Father Chris, as he's talking about this book, um, you know, it's it's one that I've read too. Um, I know Patrick, I've heard Patrick Madrid uh, reference it and recommend it. But one of the things that, I, I guess there's two things that are, are, are really standing out to me here. One is, as Al was mentioning, a lot of it's based around asking questions. You know, it, it's very much that Socratic method, asking rather than just trying to preach at or teach somebody. And that goes back to something you said earlier in the hour, Father, you know, asking the questions, not necessarily giving some sort of implied assent that you agree with, you know, what the person might be saying if they're not based in the truth, but it allows you to really engage them, and it allows them to be able to present what they're saying they believe in a non-confrontational way. But the other thing that I think is great Al brought up here, too, is we do we take some time to plan and prepare, you know, and if we were going to do that with the corporal works of mercy, if we were going to feed the hungry, you know, if we were going to help in some way for those who didn't have anything to eat, we'd plan ahead. We'd make sure that we had the food ready, that we had people in place to help cook it or prepare it. We would make sure that we had a place that we were going to, uh, you know, set it out and be able to invite people who need a free meal. Uh, All those things that go into the planning, the advance work, And just like with the corporal works of mercy where we would do that, it's important to do that with the spiritual works of mercy, too. Exactly. Exactly. And and to know that, as Mother Teresa used to say, you know, the the poorest folks are not those without bread or who are homeless, but those who lack love, those who lack understanding, those who are alone, right? And and so certainly that, that, that sense that Mother had in her own ministry of going out but anyone who has ever spent any time with the missionaries of charity know that while they're first known for their corporal works of mercy, they're doing a lot more. The spiritual works of mercy are certainly coming alive, and that's would be the case with the missionaries of charity and virtually every other religious community. Although they're nursing the sick and the dying uh, in, in facilities, they're, they're really using that, in a sense, to get to the real needs, which is the, the doubts, the sin, uh, the need for conversion, yeah. uh, which is that deeper and longer work, which is the beautiful gift that our Church has given to so many. Well, Father, we're more than halfway through the hour here, and we've only gone through two of the five spiritual works of mercy, so <laughs> let's keep moving along. We want to make sure we get through all of them. Uh, first one, instruct the ignorant. Second, giving counsel to the, to the doubtful. And now we're at number three, to admonish sinners. And this one, uh, boy, th- this <laughs> this could be a tricky one. Um, you know, all of us like to think that we're we're right, and probably all the time, um, it's easy to look at somebody else and and say, "Yeah, I I told you so." Um, but we have to keep that concept of mercy. That this is a spiritual work of mercy. We have to keep that forefront. You know, that we want to be charitable, we want to be kind. This is done in loving correction. Yes, and, and, and you know, again, relativistic culture, so, so it's a challenge, right? Um, but, but how do we define the very word admonish, right? To advise someone earnestly, not to condemn, right? And, and I think a simple question that I've often asked when people come to me and they're, again, they're, they're starting off by saying, wow, you know, I'm really messing up. You know, or boy, I'm trapped in this, and and I have a question that I've picked up from a priest who used to ask it to me. How's that working for you? 
You know, how's the gossip working for you? How's the greed working for you? How's the laziness working for you? Right? And let the person say it's not working at all. Okay, great. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, you can change. You can change, right? Certainly we have that idea that an admonishment is something that's firm and stern. That's not usually going to work when we're talking about sinners. Now, we have to take sin seriously, and we can't make light of it. You know, I, I think often when we get to admonish sinners, when, uh, you know, I, I came of age in the in the 80s, and that's when cohabitation was starting, and so certainly amongst my siblings and, and sometimes my, you know, cousins and other neighbors when they were living together, you know, my father in this matter-of-fact way would just say, oh, you're still shacking up? You're still playing house? You know, when are you going to make her an honest woman, right? Sort of calling, calling folks out, right? And people would all sort of be like, oh, okay, wow, that's awkward. We, we don't do that anymore. No, I think we all have to figure out the way to do that, right? To, to say sin is sin, sin is sin, without being preachy, right? But but we do have to create a culture where sin is to be avoided. It's tough. Yeah, There's not one size fits all. But we have to figure out a way in a relationship. And oftentimes it's when people bring it up themselves, and, and we just don't sort of, we don't let it slide. Yeah, well, and... and you know, we also then have to be honest with our own struggles with sin, yeah, because there's that warning from Jesus, you know, that uh, take the large wooden beam out of your your eye before you help your brother or your sister with that little speck of dust in their right. own eye. So we have to be realistic about what we're struggling with, too. But I think if we're realistic, if we're honest and not trying to make ourselves out, you know, better than we are, uh, you know, we don't let that pride kind of get in the way. If we say no, hey, I've I've got things I'm working on in my life, um, you know this is, but this is obviously an area where you seem to be struggling too. I think that allows for a more honest dialogue when when you can say, yeah, you know, I I deal with that too, but I'm trying to right. get better. Um, you know, if I'm trying to get better, you can too. That's right. The, the humility to to admit and and to along with. But again, I think that it's to cultivate a desire within the person to change. Isn't that what successful parenting is? Isn't that what successful coaching is? To help the other realize that what they're doing isn't working. It's not good. It's not fruitful. And therefore, there's a desire to change. It has to come from within the person. Jesus never, never you know, demanded someone change. Right? He moved within their hearts. So that they, they in turn would desire change as they came back and said, Lord, you know, I, I want something different. Help me. Uh, number four in our list here, to bear wrongs patiently. This seems to me, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to want to find a balance here. You know, we want to off, offer that mercy if someone has wronged us, but we don't want to allow our merciful attitude to be an opportunity for someone to continue to wrong us, you know, that they, they can persist in sin. Um, but we also don't want to allow ourselves to fall into where there might be a cycle that continues and there could, that could end up being abusive. So there has to be this balance, it would seem to me, of understanding how we bear wrongs patiently when it's something that needs to happen versus where we need to kind of be cautious and, and not allow that person to continue in sinful behavior. Again, you're right. It, it, it is such a, um, a, a challenge um, because we don't want to become uh, abused by people. We don't want to become, you know, put down by people again and again. And, and that's not what this is about. This is not about just sort of being a doormat uh, for people, but it's about being like Christ, right? Christ was patient. <laughs> he endured wrong, wrongdoing. 
and and he was uh, gracious, you know, in the midst of it. And so, really, what this is about is our not seeking revenge, our not holding on to things, um, but but certainly moving away from the people who abuse us and not letting ourselves be be hurt again. But we're not going on the attack, right? Christ forgave and and, and he moved on. Uh, shaking the dust from your feet it can can be an important thing, right? We look at all of Christ's teachings together, um, but but it is it's tough to be. To, to put up because we, we want revenge. We yep. want revenge. <laughs> yep, we do. Uh, which this this one, number four, also ties in very much, it seems, to the fifth here on the list, to forgive offenses willingly. You know, if we're bearing wrongs patiently, it's not that we're holding on to that grudge. Um, it, it's it's that we're willing to offer that forgiveness, but this uh, this also might be a good opportunity to talk about how mercy and forgiveness, while they're related, they are a little different. That forgiveness is not exactly mercy. Mercy is not exactly forgiveness. Yeah, uh, I, I loved uh, Bishop Barron's um, you know comment in, back in the year of mercy when he said, you know, mercy is not natural to God because sin was not part of the original plan. Uh, mercy is what happens when God looks at us with love. Right? So, so mercy is this, I, I always like to say, mercy is a movement in my heart. Right? I, I, I feel mercy towards someone. I feel compassion. I feel empathy. They're, they're, they're each a little different, but it's a movement in my heart. And because of God looking at us with love and that mercy being manifest, well, then what's God's next choice? To forgive us. Right? Forgiveness is always a choice. It doesn't come naturally. The hope is that by God's grace, we feel mercy. We feel mercy. And then we act to act in mercy is the choice to forgive. We, we had the gospel last Sunday in the Catholic uh, lectionary of Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer. And I, and I joked with the people here at St. Cecilia's, right, the better translation of that one line in the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses in exactly the same way we forgive uh, others. You know, and so we're giving God permission. If I hold grudges, God, you, you can hold grudges. Right? If, if I don't bear wrongs patiently, then, then you don't need to be patient with me. Well, none of us are going to pray that. We don't want God to hold us accountable, and so therefore we, we seek to move our own heart and, and be willing to forgive people who have hurt us. It might take time, but I'm at least going to move in that way and make that decision. I'm not going to be someone who holds on to all the wrongs that have been done to me. Mm. Uh, let's move on. This is number six here, to comfort the afflicted or the sorrowful and... I think this one might be the one that could present itself most often or most naturally in our relationships, but it also might be the most difficult one, at least for me. You know, it's not easy to be around people who are going through tough time, uh, especially if those people are not my immediate family. You know, most of the time, I know that any words I'm going to say, they're going to just fall completely short of offering any true comfort. And then you're just kind of sitting there saying, well, what's left? What, what else could I do? And really, you're just kind of spending time with somebody to let them know you care. And, and isn't that the source of comfort? Um, I, I had someone ask me recently uh, why we go to viewings when someone dies, that they found the practice you know, rather strange. Now, of course, I grew up in an Irish household where you know, that was uh, an important thing. It seemed like we did it a few nights a week, uh, the Irish obsession with going to look at dead bodies. But but I think that this is a, you know, the, the next one is about praying for the dead, which is part of why we go to funerals. 
but also just the fact that we show up, that, that someone's hurting, their loved one died, their spouse died, their parent died, their grandparent died, their friend died, and we just show up. <laughs> we stop what we're doing. We don't go to the pool that night. We, we don't sit at home and watch TV that night. Uh, we, we leave work early so we can go to the funeral home and just be present, right? My words, are, my words aren't going to bring so much comfort, right? Because what are my words going to say? Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, you know, um, I apologize. I hope you feel better. You know, if I beat you again. But that person, remember, they don't remember our words, but they remember we showed up. Yeah. They remember it because that physical presence is a comfort. Same thing, you know, loss, you know, someone's going through a tough time. You know, we call a friend, hey, why don't we get together? Let's go for a walk. Our words don't mean anything, but we are, we're, we're present. It's what Jesus did. It's why he went to be with Martha and Mary when Lazarus died. All right? It's why he goes to the homes of people. Right? He didn't raise up everyone. He didn't heal everyone. But he was present. He was present. And I think that's often the comfort that we bring. Certainly a text message works. A phone call works. You know, if we can't physically be present. But nothing replaces the presence of someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Father, we've got one left, one spiritual work of mercy left. Um, we need to take a short break. Uh, let's pick up right after this, and then uh, we've got a couple phone calls we want to get to as well. Again, our phone number here, 888-914-9149, as we're talking with Father Chris Walsh about the spiritual works of mercy. If you have a question about one of the spiritual works of mercy, or maybe how you've been able to practice that, uh, one of them in your own life helps somebody else in their need, that spiritual need that they had, we'd love to hear your story. 888-914-9149. Back with more right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I want to say thank you to Nick Sentovich and Cyrus Simcoe helping to produce the program today here. I've uh, stolen Cyrus away from Patrick Madrid to help me here during this hour. So big thank you to both of them. And thank you for joining us here as we're talking today with Father Chris Walsh, a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, discussing the spiritual works of mercy and also inviting you to call in and join us here uh, 888-914-9149 is the phone number to call into the studio, 888 uh, Father, we've gone through six of the seven of the spiritual works of mercy, and those are to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish sinners, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive offenses willingly, to comfort the afflicted, and finally, we're here at the seventh to pray for the living and the dead. And this one kind of dovetails so nicely with the corporal works of mercy, because the seventh corporal work of mercy is to bury the dead. But this is a reminder for us that, again, we don't just look at the physical needs of those around us. We don't stop there. We continue. We have to make sure that we're worried about the care of their body even after they've died and the care of their soul after they've died. Yes. I just came across an article last night reading uh, on a a website um, that uh, by 2035, which sounds so far, so far away from now, but it's 12 years away. uh, The estimate is that in America, 80% of burials would be cremation, right? 80%. Now, if you go back to 1970, it was about 3%, right? So, so in a stretch of what would that be, 60? 60 years, uh, you know, a total change in an industry. Now, why is that happening? On the one hand, it's cost, 
right? It's just you know two thousand dollars to cremate someone. Average, I think, was they said thirteen thousand dollars to bury the person. Uh, second, there's this this sense of ecology that somehow putting a, a body that's got embalming fluid in a casket in the ground is uh, environmentally dangerous, right? So some people have concerns about that, or even are we running out of cemetery space? But the article, which was secular in nature, uh, very clearly said that the, 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 the driving force is that people are not connected to church. And so oftentimes they're not even having a service. And certainly we saw that during COVID, and I've seen it as a pastor continue after COVID, that people are bypassing any sort of uh, viewing and a funeral service, uh, even if it was a prayer service at a funeral home, and just going right to the grave, uh, much more expeditious. And all sorts of theories, I guess, as to why that's happening, the breakdown in the family, people living at a distance. But faith is certainly part of it. And we as Catholics... Right? We, we forget the influence that we've had on the world. Uh, cemetery is a Christian term. Yeah. Right? In the ancient world, it was the necropolis, the place of the dead. We change the word to cemetery, place of waiting. Right? And, and, and we consecrated it. It was no longer in the ancient world. You had a tomb for a while, and then they moved your body, and they put someone else in there. There was no respect for the dead body. We're the ones who brought this. Right, because of our belief in the bodily resurrection. And again, the church, I realize, has, has no problem with cremation, but the urn should still be buried, not sit on a mantelpiece, not be worn around the neck of someone. Um, and, and so there's that quality. The person deserves her. Well, I want to hold on to grandma. Would the grandma ask to be hanging around your neck? The grandma ask to be on everyone's mantelpiece? Right? So, so we respect for the person and their right to bodily integrity and, and to be buried, to await the resurrection of the body, and to be a place of peace that's respectful and courteous and maintained, but also to pray, <laughs> to pray for the person. And so more and more it's popping up in parishes, right? The custom that, you know, if the person that dies, we find out, and their kids are not having anything. Well, at least the parish is having a mass, right? The, the, the parish is offering a mass for someone, so at least one mass is being offered for the person. Certainly the custom of praying for the dead at the, the intercessions at the Sunday mass or the, or the weekday mass, our custom around All Souls Day and what we do there, um, you know, and, and, and for us as individuals to, to literally know that we're going to a funeral, not just to pay our respects, but to pray for God's mercy on the, on the soul of the person and to tell people that, that we're praying. Again, we've lost that sense that the person's being judged, everyone dies, goes to heaven, right? We all know how that, how that goes. But, but I think in, the, in, in, in this age, and certainly in the days to come, uh, we as parishes and, and church communities have to really be looking at how we're responding, how we're educating, how we're preparing people. And I see many parishes doing wonderful things to talk about this, because uh, it's quite tragic. A friend of mine who's a pastor, he said, you know, people who are daily mass communicants, but their kids are not churchgoers, and when they die, they don't even get a mass. Right, so make sure that that's in your will. Make sure that's in your in your documents. Plan for it. Yeah. Uh, tell you, tell your kids a, that's what you want. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Make it condition. They don't they don't get the car keys until uh, until they have a few masses set for it. <laughs> All right, uh, Father Chris Walsh with us here, and we're getting a little short on time, but let's see if we can get uh, a couple of phone calls on here. Mary is calling from Pennsylvania. Mary, uh, welcome to the Inner Life. Thank you. I just wanted to say thank you to Father Chris for being the face of Christ in our family. You were there for me when my mom had passed. And not only was it a pandemic time, but you were there on the phone while she was in the hospital. You were there after she passed with the mask. You were at the grave site. You gathered us as a family. And really, we saw the face of Christ through your kindness. And thank you. Thanks so much, Mayor. 
Uh, that's beautiful. Thanks for calling in, Mary, and sharing that. Uh, Mary Beth is also calling in, listening in Chicago. Mary Beth, uh, short on time, but wanted to get you on before the end of the hour. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I, I have a friend whose son is going through a tough bout of cancer, and something that we've been doing since January in honor of her son is a rosary every night at 730. And that's just something that we've been doing. Beautiful. And then another, a, another thing we... I'm sorry, another thing I do, too, is I pass out food at all the stops in Chicago for beggars with a blessed rosary. Awesome. Taking care of their body and their spirit. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, thanks again, Mary Beth. That's just a beautiful couple of examples of how we can live that out and, and live it out simply, too, Father. Um, you know, in, in the last couple minutes here, too, while we want to be open to doing any and all of these works, these spiritual works of mercy— you know, one of the things that I'm thinking uh, of is in the corporal works of mercy, we kind of might have a special focus. You know, we might specialize in one area where we have a kind of passion for that work or it seems to come naturally. It doesn't mean that we don't do other things to help people in need if those needs present themselves to us. But similarly, in the spiritual works of mercy, if we find ourselves that there's one area, one of these works that comes very easily, very naturally to us, is it okay for us to have that same sort of approach? Okay, this is where kind of my focus is, but I'm not, I'm not going to turn my back if somebody needs help in one of the other areas. I think that's exactly right. Again, we, the language we often use around that is a charism, that there are going to be people who have a charism around admonishing sinners in a really great way and bringing them back to confession. There's going to be others who are really great at comforting those who are sorrowful. And, and so, yes, discern, you know, and, and, and focus. Just be intentional. I think that's with any of these things in our, in our Christian life and all the wonderful topics that you have on your awesome show. Let's just be intentional. Let's, let's do something, right? We can't do everything, but we can all do something. Yeah. Yeah, no, that and and that's a good reminder too. You don't have to do everything because you can't do everything, and that's why we're part of the body of Christ. You know, we're all different members of the body. We all have different things that we contribute, and even as uh, I, I think it's Saint Paul says, you know, the ear can't be a hand or the hand can't be a foot. You know, we all need to recognize where God is calling us. Father, we've got about uh, thirty seconds here left in the hour. Could I ask, ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? May Almighty God bless you and give you the grace to practice the works of mercy and imitation of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who blesses you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Always a joy to talk with you, Father Chris. Thanks so much. We'll look forward to having you back on the show again in the near future. And, of course, if you joined us late, if you'd like to go back and listen to the program, go back and find that podcast. It'll uh, it'll be posted here in just a a little bit. You can find it on our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. And want to encourage you to join us tomorrow as we're going to be talking about selfishness. Do you deal with a little bit of selfishness in your life? Wanting to put yourself first? A little bit of greed? Well, we're going to talk about the antidote there. That's generosity, how we can grow in that virtue. And, of course, stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next here. Uh, That's followed by The Faith Explained with Cale Clark. Have a blessed afternoon. We'll talk with you tomorrow here on The Inner Life.